Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans. Welcome to the show. Yo, what's up, Sam? How you doing, man? Hey, not much, man. Super excited about this week's episode. Who we got lined up? Today, we have Gareth Emery. For those who don't know, he's an award-winning DJ and producer originally from the UK, who's been able to build a sustainable and long career as a musician. He's known for his incredible live performances in arena shows, which actually include world-class laser light shows. He also was the CEO of a blockchain music streaming service called Tune, which operated... Well, he was the CEO between... 2017 and 2019. So ahead of his time in terms of crypto and crypto technology. Um, today, we actually talk about the NFT world, uh, the blockchain. And, and one conversation that I was really excited to get into was why it's getting popular now and the similarities between creating great music and creating a great NFT. What'd you think, Sam? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I thought it was truly awesome episode. I know there's a lot of hype around NFT. So from my perspective, it was like incredible to see somebody that's been in this crypto and music world, the intersection for a while, that's truly channeling his creativity and authenticity into a one-of-a-kind NFT and experience. It's, he dives very deep into the, the, the NFT itself. It's called Laser City. It's actually releasing today, but uh, when we release this episode, Thursday, April 15th, um, you can check it out on Nifty Gateway. But there's really cool perks. There's a physical component. There's uh, he's picking up different ways to manifest and bring his favorite cities to life by way of art and NFT. So I think uh, we've seen no shortage of, of an influx of supply in the NFT market. So special kudos to people like Garrett that are really using this format as a as a means for for true creativity, true authentic expression. So really excited not only to dive into his NFT but also his thoughts on the continued. Uh, convergence of the crypto and NFT world with the music industry. But one last thing before we get into this week's episode, super excited uh, to shout out our, our partner, Vidya. You may recall, but Vidya is an end-to-end music technology platform that provides labels, the infrastructure, and technology to power their business. They are literally a, a white-labeled solution behind a lot of the different indie labels you all know and love. So I don't know if, if you guys are listening out here, have your sights set on dethroning the beloved quality <laughs> control. You got to have a really solid distribution partner in your back pocket. Vidya is at partner. They offer global audio and video distribution, rights management, publishing, analytics, detailed revenue accounting, marketing, and more. What else we got to say about Video Jordan? What really excites me is that they're a premium partner of, of digital service providers like Spotify, Apple, TikTok, Vivo, YouTube, and, and Facebook. I think when you think about a distributor, you think, can, can my music be put in the best places, in the right places? And Vidya does that. So um, independent music labels drive community and culture. And, and Vidya provides the back office tech and infrastructure so that they can compete globally. For sure. So if you guys want to apply, that's another cool thing, given the fact that they, it's not just a, a fully DIY service. Not everybody can sign up. You have to apply. But if you're running a label or you're, you kind of have a management roster and are considering what it could look like if you support your artists beyond just management and are looking to take that step into kind of more label and publishing services, Vidya can definitely be your back end. So do want to encourage you to go to vydia.com slash MVP. 
video.com slash MVP. There you can apply if accepted. Um, they're able to, to provide tons of strategic advice and support with regards to playlist pitching, marketing. I mean, it's a very powerful partner to have in your back pocket as you continue to, to grow and in, in how you promote your own music and the, the music of the artists on your roster. So one last time, go to video.com slash MVP to sign up and apply. And without any further ado, let's jump into this week's episode with Gareth Emery. Gareth, what's happening, man? Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're, we're super excited, man. I'm a little jealous of the, the purple backdrop you got. It looks super groovy. It's just a uh, Philips Hue. Like, they're pretty inexpensive way of uh, being able to choose a new color for my studio uh, on a weekly basis. I, I like it. I like it, man. Well, I know... Um, you got some exciting news. Uh, excited to kind of dive right in. I know um, Laser City. I think this is a, a. I'm just excited about the project itself. I've been lo- looking at lots of different NFTs in the music space, and I think we've seen that the general like NFT world itself has gotten very saturated very quickly, which is cool because it's a big opportunity. But um, it's also encouraged and and just brought in a lot of monotony and a lot of the same stuff and just another like short 15 second like video loop but i think what you're doing is is kind of a super unique and innovative approach so i think just to, to set the stage um can you just talk walk us through exactly what the concept of laser city is yeah and and first i'll, I'll say i completely agree the saturation is bonkers in the nft space and i feel i'm sort of allowed to say that because i've been in crypto since 2013 um, I actually ran a very early uh, crypto music streaming site um, in 2017, 2018, which I somehow ended up being CEO of this company. That was about three years too early. So we were kind of setting the groundwork for NFTs back then. So it's been a space I've kind of been watching and keenly interested in for years. And part of the reason it's taken me till April 2021 to do one was because I didn't want to just throw out some crappy 15 second loop that I've like rushed out just for a cash in which and and by the way there's a lot of great work out there but there's also a lot of cash ins right we just got we got to be honest a lot of artists and I, I don't blame artists for doing it it's been a very hard year in the music industry but for me I'm like if I do it it's got to be good it's got to be something that is like I can look back on in like 5 years and be proud of so lasers are my thing in terms of live performances we put on crazy laser shows to tens of thousands of people. We have more lasers than pretty much anybody else. We have an insane sort of choreographed live show. So I was like, rather than go and make like, I don't know, like like the Rave Cats or something, which would be an easy um, project, let's see how we bring lasers into this. So I'd begun by writing songs about a bunch of my favorite cities, London, Los Angeles, Tokyo. Um, once the music was done, we then made a laser show. We, we filmed actual lasers, kind of choreographed a show. And then we took the lasers and then rendered them within kind of like a virtual um, sort of metaverse version of each city, sort of in like a rotating glass cube. It's like a bit of a head fuck, but it's basically a mix of like real lasers shot with actual cameras put inside these kind of city environments. Right, so, right. Um, yeah. That's amazing. I absolutely love that. So when, I mean, I know you kind of have, um, like there's some interesting perks, you're doing one of ones, limited edition, open editions. Yeah. Can you dive a layer deeper too about kind of the, some, some more of the dynamics behind the, the actual drop itself? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're still finalizing some of the details, but I think the three cities 
are going to be limited in some way. I don't know how many of the numbers will be. It'll probably be some sort of drawing, I guess, whereby we only will do 10 or 15 of each one um, so people can enter, but, you know, they probably won't get them necessarily. Um, so that'll be the three cities. Then I have one, which is um, like the metaverse. So this is one where the city is like a crypto city because this is a world I've been into for a long time. So we have... Bitcoin logos, Ethereum logos, a few funny little, little Easter eggs for people that follow the crypto space. So we have like a pizza restaurant. There's a very famous story of a guy who paid, I think, 20,000 Bitcoins for a pizza back in like 2011. He would now Holy be... Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> every There's actually a website. I forget the address, but it it clocks up how much money he would now have if it kept those Bitcoins. And I think the last time I checked, it was like half a billion dollars or something like that. It, anyway, it's, it, it's bonkers. So yeah, we had like a little pizza restaurant there just as a bit of fun um, to that. So yeah, that is an open edition, the crypto one, because it's my, I think it's my favorite one. So everyone can get that. I think it's going to be like 500 bucks or, so, or something around, around that point. And then we have one like batshit fucking crazy piece, which comes with what we're calling like a laser sculpture. So it's kind of a cube in the pieces and then we're making an actual cube um, sort of out of metal. It's like a sculpture, but it has a laser inside. So who, this is like an auction piece, like 101. So whoever wins it has this laser sculpture that will play the NFT back to them via a real laser. So um, yeah, kind of a cool like party piece um, for somebody who wants something that's never really been done before. Yeah, no, that, that's dope. And I mean, I, I love to like um, just the, the IRL component with the NFT and being able to get some of the actual uh, like ownership. I know like Fawocious, very popular, like crypto artists did kind of a similar drop with like the, the Fawocious shoes. Um, and then I, I think too, I mean, there's also like uh, a perk of being able to have like very VIP access at one of your shows, right? Yeah, so we did that also for the the auction. So it's kind of you get to come to a show and see your NFT get performed at one of our laser shows. So you can either like stand at the back because that's where the best view of the lasers are. Or if you'd like the spotlight a bit more, you can come with me in the booth and watch it get performed from there. doesn't look as good from the booth, though, I'll say. Lasers look good from one direction. So I always recommend like the our guests go and watch it from the crowd but if they want to come in the booth and have a drink with me that's fine as well as long as they don't spill on the cdjs <laughs> yeah exactly yeah we're always like when you bring people into the booth that you don't know that well my tour manager will always be just lurking in the back and if anybody's yeah. like <laughs> too much or their drink is like flopping over the edge he's there ready to kind of like usher them usher them away <laughs> most, i'm lucky most people have been pretty chill like we've never had too much too much drama right right that's good um so obviously, like this is in a lot of detail and you put a lot of thought behind it and it's obviously very engaging. Yeah. How do you think this type of content diverts from content that aren't related to NFTs? And how do you deci decide and design what you think will be an engaging NFT specifically? For me, it was making something that I would like personally. And that's all I know how to do, whether it comes to making music or making NFTs. I mean, I, I've tried time and time again to kind of guess the taste of the audience or guess the taste uh -huh. of the market. And every time I've done that, I've 
massively failed. So I really was like, which is also why, you know, friends would tell me, you know, the NFT space isn't into lasers. They like little cartoon characters and stuff. But that's not what I'm into. So I was like, well, you know, I prefer following my own instinct, even if it means leaving money on the table or whatever. So I was like, I like lasers, but I also like these kind of like dystopian 3D worlds. How can I find some right. sort of meeting place where, where the two of them happen together? But it's, I think it's pretty good advice for most people making art. Like, make it for yourself and just, it's a good bet there's going to be some people out there that have similar tastes to you. Yeah, right. For sure. No, I love that. Um, and I think it's just better than a lot of the behavior right now, which is like, what can I use to like sell as many as I can as quickly as possible? Yeah. Right? And then the, 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 the true creativity, which we really like. Um, in music as well, don't we? I mean, I, I think a lot of people will see the songs that are popping on like the big Spotify playlists um, or the songs that are in like the top 100 and we'll try and copy those. But everyone forgets those songs were made like six months to two years ago. And the people that are going to be top of those charts next are already writing the songs and they probably don't sound like those. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of exhausting to try and follow the trends. Much better just do your own thing. And at some point, your own thing will probably have its moment in the sun. As, as an artist and producer, did you feel like you ever, I mean, you said very eloquently with confidence throughout your career, were there times where you did find yourself tracing sonic trends before you were really able to come into your own and, and have the sense of confidence to explore your own creative vision? Loads of times for years. It, and, and, you know, I still occasionally will do it now. Um, and I, sometimes you have to talk to other artists to realize how futile the whole thing is. So some good friends of mine in the electronic music world are some producers called W&W. &W. Mm -hmm. And I was in my studio and I'm listening to their stuff. And this was only a couple of years ago. And I'm like, fuck, man, their stuff is, was so loud and so aggressively made for festivals. And mm -hmm. when I compared the stuff that I make, which is more songs and melodies, it just didn't. It, I was like, wow, it just feels weak. And then I saw these guys. And I was like, man, I was like, I was like, you know, your music is just so made for festivals. Like my music, I'm, I'm always trying to make mine more banging like yours. And they're like, shut up, man. She goes, you make the best fucking songs. Like you make songs that people play at their weddings and their, and their funerals. They're like, we're always trying to make shit like yours. And I kind of realized in that moment, we all have these neuroses and anxieties about thinking our own stuff is not good enough. And, um, you know... There's always times you like, I think it's fine to get inspired by stuff. Like I'll listen to artists I really like and go, yeah, that's fucking cool. Let me bring some of that into my work, but while still keeping it my work. I also read this book. Um, it's about stealing art. It's, it's, I, for, I forget what it's called, but it's supposed to be ironic because the way that they describe it in the book is not stealing, but being inspired by and taking the bits and pieces of music that you like. So listening to a song and not thinking I need to make a song like this, but listening to it and hearing the way that they use their ad libs, for example, and being like, man, I think I want to use that in my, one of my songs because the way that they use that one ad lib kind of matches the energy that I want or the way that they use um, like one baseline in a, in a bar. And you're like, man, I think I actually want to expand on that. I think that's a little different than saying, okay, here's this Drake song. Like, let me make a carbon copy of the Drake song because that's what's been working, you know? Yeah, I love that. And I think when it works well, 
is when you're in the studio and you write something and you go, shit, like, what, what am I channeling? There's some other song that has made me do that, something I've heard. And then you eventually figure out what it is and you go and listen to it. But, like, their bass line has inspired, like, your, like, vocal loop or something. Right. And it's so far away. Nobody else would ever see where the connection was made. And um, an artist I love called Labyrinth, a British sort of pop artist, um, does a lot of, like, TV show soundtracks and stuff. He kind of talked about this in quite a beautiful way in an interview I heard with him. And he was like, listen, he said, I'm like going through all these magazines of other people's work and I'm cutting out bits and pieces and then I'm mm -hmm. making a collage on like a bit of cardboard, which is my work. He's like, it's a collage of all these other bits and pieces. And that's kind of how I see it, I guess. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, in that same vein too, when you think about, I'm curious as your kind of like progression as an artist. I mean, you're at the point like, I mean, pre-COVID, I'm sure when things come back, we'll be back there too. But like literally like arena shows with like more lasers than like anybody but you would know what to do with. Um, <laughs> like what, uh, what, what, if you look back and obviously like hindsight's twenty twenty, but like what are some of the things that you focused on or some of the, the principles or, or themes or things you felt you embodied that, that played some of the, the biggest roles to that ascent over time? I mean, I wish I'd known at the start how transitory hype can be um you know when things first happened for me i was like 21 22 years old but and everybody was a bit older as a whole so i was pretty young to be getting my first record deal and i had an like i remember i had an amazing start in the industry but then i didn't follow up my initial records and the hype faded and a couple of years later i was applying for jobs living at home with my parents and my friends thought I was a fucking superstar DJ and I was literally making $5,000 a year and, and, and living at home. And, um, and, that, and that was tough. Um, so I've, that, and I managed to get things back and I managed to bring my career back, but that definitely taught me about reinvention and the fact that you need to be consistent. That was really, really helpful. Um, I guess as well, like I probably if I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't sweat things quite, quite as much. As an artist, you have times when you're hot. You have times when you're not so hot. And every time you're not hot, you kind of feel like it's all coming to an end. And uh, you, I guess after going through like five or six of these cycles, I've realized it's just part, you can't be in the fucking spotlight on, all the time. Um, and I wish I'd known that at various moments throughout my career. Right, for sure. Flashbacks to the man's not hot. Man's never hot. But uh, we'll, <laughs> what we'll, is that? that? That sounds like something. That, that's UK man. This is from your neck of the woods. The the guy that like, went super viral. Like it was. Uh, he went on a, a radio <laughs> show. Um, but no, I, I mean, aside from my corny jokes, uh, I think there's a lot of like merit to that man. And I, I think um, I mean, it, it seems like the a lot of the same themes always ring through that, that sense of consistency, not losing sight, putting in the reps over time, really looking to engage and, and nurture a, a truly supportive fan base. I think a lot of people oftentimes like optimize for those moments of massive hype when in reality, it's like that might like, those are also the same people that are falling into the, like the one hit wonder realm more and more. That, yeah, that's it. And I think you make a great point and something I've seen time and time again the more quickly you accumulate the fans, the less invested those fans are in you and the more quickly you can lose them. And I've seen countless artists explode far bigger than me because, like you say, one hit wonder, they have a massive record. And all of a sudden, 
their headlining festivals and I'm like third on the bill. That used to like piss me off and now it doesn't. <laughs> so many of those artists come and go. Whereas when you really focus on serving your core supporters, as I call them, and you do it over a period of five years, 10 years, and you try and delight those people, they stay with you for decades. And that is usually what makes those long-term careers as opposed to just accumulating like millions of people that don't really care about you. Yeah, I would say, um, and then I'll, and then we'll, I want to transition to, to crypto after this, but I, um, I think Spotify brought back some one hit wonders. Like when I was able to stream music and before I actually had to buy the record to listen to it, I'll go back now and like, listen to to one hit wonders in a way that i didn't used to before i'm like oh man this person has a million monthly listeners because everyone's listening to this one song over and over again um you mentioned engaging what are some ways that you think what are some core values that you think are um important for engaging your fans for the long term i mean obviously making great stuff and i think also you do kind of have to treat it like a business in the sense that I don't, you know, I, I don't get involved in a lot of conversations. Like if somebody doesn't like something that I've made, I don't get involved with what, what you'd call haters. But mm-hmm. if we have failed somebody as a customer, I'm on the fucking front lines. So if somebody sends a message on Instagram, like, hey, I ordered this vinyl and it hasn't turned up, I'm fucking on. And I, I say it, I'm like on that. Like, we need to fucking fix it. Let's get this to that person and let's send them something else as well to ensure that our fuck up, you know, mm-hmm. is not fatal. So I very much recognize that serve it, like we're kind of there to serve and, um, um, in that's very, very important. I really try and go like above and beyond to make people that support me as happy as I po- as, I, as I possibly can. Um, you know, given the time constraints that the one the one person has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I love that. Um, well, all roads lead back to crypto and NFTs. So. Um, with that said, I, I know you've kind of been in the, the NFT or not even the NFT, but in the, the crypto and blockchain at, at the intersection of music world for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, you're kind of acting the, the CEO of Tune 2017, yeah. 2018. And uh, uh, one, I mean, that was one of the, the largest streaming services on the blockchain, um, over 10,000 different artists being paid out daily. When you look today and even into the next and upcoming years outside of NFTs for a second, like what do you feel will be some of the most impactful applications and uses of crypto and blockchain technology for the music industry and fans? Yes, a really good question. And I think musicians being able to control the economics of their own music is, is going to be really important. And crypto right now looks like the most likely way of doing that. And, that has a few different facets, right? So like, obviously I get excited about things like artists getting paid more quickly. I think uh-huh. anybody releasing music is well aware the way we pay royalties, and I talked about this a lot with Tune, so I won't bore on about it now, but the way we pay royalties is just fundamentally broken. You know, Spotify pay my record label. I then wait six to 12 months to get a statement from them. It's a thousand pages long. If I want to question it, I need a fucking forensic accountant because I don't understand the thing at all. Um, That's before we even get into like publishing and PROs and stuff. Like, 
despite all of our technological innovations, the way we pay royalties has not changed since. Yeah, this is a system that was built in the first half of the 20th century. It is a disaster for artists. More excitingly, though, I do think, and, and by the way, I, I am a fan of Spotify, and I think Spotify has been great for music in, in, in many ways, but I do think an economy where the value of every song is $0.004 is actually something of a false economy, which you get when you have a few sort of monopolies controlling the streaming business. Um, I strongly believe that music fans have that collector DNA. I very much remember myself spending money on white label vinyls, vinyls with like special artwork and imports and stuff like that. And that kind of excitement you got going to a record shop. And I kind of feel like music fans have never lost that. We've just not had the tools with which to serve them. So one thing that would get me really fucking excited is collectible, like the collectability coming back to music rather than $10 a month or you can eat buffet actually being able to buy something that mm. isn't um give you a really basic example there's loads of them but one i like is imagine if i could sell a song i'm gonna do like 100 copies of it so it's it's gonna cost 10 or 20 bucks or whatever but you're buying a one of 100 now imagine you'd hold that on an nft or some sort of similar digital token but imagine then if you could integrate your wallet with spotify so you would unlock that song on spotify if you had the NFT, you could then sell the NFT to somebody else and you can't listen to that song anymore. Kind of like trading rare vinyls. I That gets me really, really excited. Yeah, I actually was working with an artist um, when I was working in management and he he kept coming to me and being like, how do we how do we increase demand without increasing supply? He actually didn't like the fact that he had to put his music on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, all of these things. He was like, "How do we make? How do we make scare? Like, how do we accomplish scarcity?" And I think that was a question at the time that now I know was ahead of its time, right? Like, no one thinks, "How do we put this music in less places so so the demand will be higher?" Right? But he asked me that question. I want to say like two years ago at this point, and like kept asking me, and was like, "How do we do it?" And now the economy and the creator economy is at a place where that can actually happen, which is really exciting. I want to ask also, um, you know. In your own words, you said that Tune was, was, you know, three or four years too early. What yeah. do you think has changed? What, why do you think it was too early? And what do you think has changed since then to make right now a good time for, for blockchain technology and NFTs? Well, I, I think the killer application of Tune would have been NFTs, ultimately, rather than the sort of streaming service. Mm-hmm. And I sort of have my doubts whether... Like this, if there is a say a Spotify killer, i.e., a, a platform that really disrupts Spotify, I don't know if it necessarily will be something that looks like Spotify but is built on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. I think maybe where we end up next is just some sort of economy where artists retain much more control. And essentially, if we rebuild Spotify on the blockchain, you can potentially have some of the same problems you have by having a very dominant platform not on the blockchain. Right. Um, I think NFTs would have been where Tune really excelled. I mean, my partners in Tune uh, were a couple of guys called John Watkinson and Matt Hall who made a project called CryptoPunks, how I heard about them in the first place, which is uh, the top selling or, or second top selling NFT projects, the, definitely the oldest one. So they had already kind of laid the groundwork for it. So, um, yeah, uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me try and bring this, bring, bring, bring this back to my point. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't think we saw until this year 
that there really was demand for limited additional di- for limited digital items, these mm-hmm. digitally scarce items. Even last year, I wasn't quite sure there was necessary. I-, I could see it in music, but it would have am- it would have amazed me last year to see what people are paying simply to own an animated GIF that anybody can that anybody can download and it's mm-hmm. kind of been amazing and has warmed my heart to see people collecting these things and really believing in the ownership of them and i don't think we had that in 2017 2018 yeah right and i mean as far as like um like as we look forward i mean you feel like the, the adoption right now is interesting and i feel like a lot of the musicians that are crushing in the nft sphere are people honestly kind of like yourself that have already been like in the the crypto x music world for a while and they, they have a kind of credibility and engagement and and support in both of those respective communities so yeah. um versus like the average artists like it's a super small subset of their fans that are kind of like the early adopters in the nfts and have like read more than just like one tweet headline um so, I mean, do you feel like this, this, we're very much on a trajectory of this becoming deeply embedded within kind of like mainstream music culture? It, it, no, I mean, we know we are. We're on a trajectory. There's no doubt about that. And I and I think right now there's a lot of discovery going on. But it's like at the moment, NFTs for the most part are priced for the crypto audience as opposed for the music audience. Um, so a lot of musicians are making great amounts of money selling expensive NFT art to the crypto audience, which has an awful lot of cash because crypto has been on an amazing bull run for the last year or so. Um, when it gets to the point where we can start seeing real mainstream adoption is when it becomes something that is economically viable for like a large amount of music fans. I, I, I don't think we're I don't think we're there yet. I think we will get there. Um, what I hope is when there is kind of a bear market and things cool down as always happens in crypto you you know you have periods of adoption prices rise everyone gets excited we all go fucking crazy and then the prices drop and people don't talk about it for a couple of years i really just hope music doesn't forget about the potential here for those quiet years those will be times to carry on building carry on developing and carry on selling things in this way even if it's far, far cheaper than we can sell things for at the moment. Um, and I think eventually we will get to that kind of that, that kind of true economy. Right. Um, the biggest critique that I've seen so far for NFTs is that it helps mostly people at the top of the food chain. So we've seen um, artists make millions of dollars off NFTs. Um, I think what was it Grimes who made a bunch of money, went everywhere, went viral that she did that. Um, what do you think is what do you think is the biggest rebuttal to that argument? Um, well, I mean, I, I definitely see many, many smaller artists, um, not so much musical artists. I think music artists have been, it has been concentrated up the top, at the top, but in terms of digital art, and they feel a few years further down the road than we are with music, there's so many small artists that have made careers out of this. Like the amount of artists I read on Twitter who were like doing client work before, like literally making art for like a hundred bucks an hour. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're getting to quit that and do and, and do art as a full-time thing, I think has been amazing. Um, you know, there's kids like 16, 17 years old who are all of a sudden making hundreds of thousands of dollars selling digital art. So I think right. look to art rather than music as an example of where this can go. Um, now look, at the moment, music artists, it's the ones at the top 
a lot of money is being made. And I think that's a pretty fair critique. But that's because right now things are very centralised on a few platforms, be it Nifty Gateway or Super Rare. But when we get to a point where any artist can release these digitally scarce items, it mm-hmm. has to open the door to people that have been cut out of the system thus far. There's just no, there's no way it can't. Um, so I agree with it, but I, I, I know that's not going to be the case for, for more than a few years. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of. Sorry, Sam, and I have another question. I'm thinking of um, when everyone thinks it's really cool to know an artist before everyone else does, right? If every if every artist is putting out an NFT, like you could have proof of how early you invested in an artist, right? So I, I like listened to Benet like really early on, New Zealand singer. If she had released an NFT very early, I probably would have bought it. It probably would be worth something right now. And I'd, I'd be able to prove it, right? Like I have this NFT that's worth this much as opposed to like, ah, I heard her when she only had 3000 monthly listeners on Spotify. Like, yeah, cool. You can say that, but you know, it, it kind of goes into the wind. It lives in a vacuum, you know? So it's giving people the opportunity to really be like, this is great music. I want to invest in it now because I also think this artist is going to be really big one day too. Yeah, that's it. And I finally, it kind of reminds me of something I'm working on. So I have a side project, which I've not launched yet. Um, and I've not really even talked about it, but it feels like a, I, I'll explain like what I hope to do with it. Um, it's more of a band thing. It's where I get to kind of explore my playing guitar and songwriting stuff, which doesn't really fit for banging electronic dance music. Mm-hmm. And because I get to start that project from zero, I want to do an NFT with every release. Um, not so much a music NFT, but just like an NFT of the artwork or whatever, but I want to give them away for free and put some sort of cap on it. Like we'll do a couple of hundred or we'll do like 10 minutes and anybody that shows up in 10 minutes can get one. But rather than charge, cause it's a new project, I kind of want to go like, Hey, anybody that's into it at this early point, which is not going to be many people to start with, it's free come and get one. And then it kind of becomes this collectible because if somebody gets into the group on like release five, well, they're like, shit, like there's like four of releases and there's, there's collectibles for these. How do I go and acquire those? And hopefully as the group does well, the value of the NFTs also kind of increases and then people can make money without actually having like to spend a lot of money on these, on these things. So that, that gets, that gets me really excited. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And I mean, I think, um, no, I mean, it's an amazing idea. And too, if you just to like extract for our listeners, what I also like about the, like the ideas you just mentioned, as well as the, the Laser Cities drop is like surrounding different releases. I think Cooper Turley uh, was on our podcast a couple of weeks ago and was a big kind of collector in the space. Um, was speaking to like one of the best ways to do this. I mean, surrounding releases don't make it like out of completely out of context. And I think even a layer deeper, you kind of built your current drop around your favorite different cities, brought a, a level of kind of personal, authentic expression to the game. So I think um, all those different factors for our listeners as they're kind of evaluating how they want to do this should keep all that stuff top of mind. It it lives on forever, right? It would have been the like I said the easiest thing in in the world for me. To, to make, let's call it the crypto ravers or the rave punks or the rave yeah. cat. And by the way, there is somebody out there who is an artist 
who fucking loves little cartoon rave cats and could do that in an authentic way and will be very successful with it. But that wasn't me. I don't even like fucking cats. I'm a dog person, if anything. So, you know, you just got to remember this stuff lives on forever. And, and um, like all of us jumping into NFTs, we are, however long we've been, it's sort of riding a bandwagon. But like, be pr- you got to be proud of the stuff we do. Yeah, for sure. One thousand percent. Um, so, I mean, I know a tune and, and that being kind of like a music streaming platform, like you probably have, have thought a bit about kind of like where IP and master ownership comes to the equation, especially with like bigger artists where they might not even have kind of like complete control over their masters. Um, we'll start with like NFTs and then kind of like revisit what it does look like in like a streaming world. But I mean, are, is there any concern? Like, I feel like these 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 big labels just want to keep as much power as they possibly can, and they'll use any existing law to their advantage. I know that's the antithesis of the crypto community at a whole, whose core foundation is decentralization. Um, like, do you see? Do you foresee any clash between the two within the context of NFTs and, and using music in NFTs? For sure, it's going to get ugly. I'm fortunate in that I am not in it exclusive record deal and i left a four-year publishing deal um halfway through last year so in doing these nfts that we're doing in a couple of weeks i made sure everything was completely written from scratch after that publishing deal ended and even when i was using samples i went and read through the agreements of the sample libraries and Mm. it kind of surprised me there's some nasty fucking clauses by the way in like some sample libraries you download there was one and it said like if you do more than a million streams they want like 50 percent of your stream income and i actually sent them an email that i I don't think this is a cool thing to put in your t's and c's like not even for me because i have the knowledge to read them but like i'm thinking some kid uses it on a hip-hop record and has a fucking hit and all of a sudden they're coming after him so yeah it's it's gonna it's gonna be a battle and the, the only thing i can suggest is to artists that are in deals don't use music in nfts that are in deals do it completely outside of the deals if you can if you are in a deal go and talk to who you're in a deal with first and as much as that's going to be a difficult conversation it's going to be much more difficult if you've made money because you're then negotiating when they kind of know what you've made so uh try and stay away from the legacy industry when doing this stuff if you have to deal with them just do it up front yeah fair warning yeah that's, 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 that's also like crazy too man the, the sneaky clauses in the sample libraries I, I honestly like i'm not like i'm not one to like damage people's business and I, this is not a big company so i'm not going to fucking say who it is i would just say that like and like i will say i'll shout out like i love the company output they make a great piece of software called arcade which i use on like on loads of stuff and i'm not affiliated with them in any way i pay for their product but like you know i looked through their agreement because i was using some of their stuff and it was completely open for any sort of use with no credit the way that sample libraries and sample base synthesizers like should be but mm-hmm. yeah this one it shocked me more than a million streams and you ought me have to give him like 50 percent of, of of the master yeah. of the master yeah, yeah. insane, that's, that's insane. Yeah. so so as we as we look to it i mean i kind of framed that question up within the context of nfts now to take it a step further into just like general crypto and blockchain and i've heard some people have been excited about potential application and being able to have kind of like smart contracts in place for specific components of songs so there's automatic compensation for different producers and samples and um, do you see a world where that can exist too, or it just 
requires such a major title shift in how people consume music in order for that to, that to even work? No, I think it can work. It's going to be slow, right? I mean, like yeah. we had smart record contracts, as we call them on tune, that were splitting between, that were splitting the funds between after 100 collaborators back in late, back in 2018. Three years have gone by and that's still not really being done in any sort of meaningful way. Like, yeah, you can build your own contract on the Ethereum network, but it's fucking expensive. The gas fees at the moment will probably be more than your royalties. And uh, you need a fucking degree in computer science to code the damn thing. So, <laughs> like, look, I have no doubt that in 20 years from now, hopefully 10 years, but like 20 years, or we will use these sort of smart contracts for all record deals. We'll know what the splits are and things will just be divided up in real time on a daily basis between the parties. That's if we even have a royalty system that functions in some way like our current one. But it's going to take time and especially it's going to be slow if there is no one platform. If there's some blockchain streaming platform that like wins the battle and becomes a Spotify of the blockchain, then it's kind of easy, right? It all gets done on that one platform. But if you have this more like fragmented economy where artists are making kind of these like, you know, artisan style products and they're controlling their own economics and everyone's distributing them in a different way, you know, then it's going to take a little bit longer, but I think we'll get there eventually. Right. And then as we kind of get close to the end of the episode, and just for people that want to get started immediately, what is the process of listing an NS NFT from start to finish? Yeah. So um, firstly, you obviously need the thing. Like what yeah. is like, yeah, you got to make like your little video or, or whatever you're doing. But it's very simple. There are platforms. Um, I think Zora is open to everybody. OpenSea, I'd recommend um, just the words OpenSea together is really, really cool. Like I've been using that. There's no verification required. It's not a curated platform. And it's really quite simple. Uh, you, you'll need some Ethereum. Go mm. buy Coinbase because that is the currency that you need to mint these things. Um, so you can go on OpenSea. Um, OpenSea is cool because it allows you to mint um, without spending crazy amounts of money to mint your NFT to the blockchain. Mm -hmm. So I, I would make your little video or whatever you're doing, go on NFT, go, get some Ethereum, just start with a few hundred bucks or whatever, go and mint it on OpenSea and do like a test before you go and mint like hundreds at at, at, at one time. Uh, like mint like three copies, give them away to friends or whatever. Start to learn how to use uh, your MetaMask, which is the wallet that you use. And there's amazing tutorials on this. So I won't go into mm -hmm. detail, but watch a tutorial, test everything first. Can't say that enough. I've been bitten by failing to do that. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, just, just go mint some stuff on, 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 on OpenSea. Nice. And then I guess as we started to come towards a close, man, I know it's been a, you mentioned you hadn't been on a flight for the past year and I probably relative to the, the year prior, that's like complete night and day relative to, to your lifestyle as a DJ and producer. What, um, what's kind of your, your outlook? And I know nobody know, knows the answers, but do you, I mean, are you getting excited to, to get back out there or seems yeah. like there's starting to be a little demand? I feel good about it. The demand. I mean, we. I mean, we were fortunate in that we did seven drive-ins here in Los Angeles last year, nice. uh, which were amazing. People were allowed to be in their own little space outside of their cars. So 
those were just beautiful nights to be in front of a crowd. And I'm grateful I live somewhere that has a driving culture and that our venue down in um, Orange County allowed, allowed us to do it. But no, I'm excited to get, I'm ready, right? I'm, I've enjoyed the time at home. I've loved the family time. I've loved the studio time. It's been amazing. Have like For so many years, I've been on a laptop because I traveled so much. Being back in a studio where I can buy like fucking analog units and turn real knobs has just been fun. I've like geeked out so much in here. But um, now nah, I'm excited to be back on flights. I love performing. And um, I think we're seeing some good signs, you know, like I, I've heard EDC is going to happen um, in in Vegas. If that happens, I, I'll feel like and it's a full like a like not socially distance. Then that's kind of the bookmark. Like Miami 2020 was the first to go and EDC might be the first big one to happen. Um, look, it, it's going to be stop start. And I think people it's going to take us all a little while to get used to being close to people again because we've all probably become germaphobes even if we weren't before and when you've been scared of something for a while it takes a little while to to kind of lose that fear but yeah. i feel there's a light at the end of the tunnel and i feel like in six months to a year this thing's going to mostly be be in the rear view and i'm fucking glad about that and yeah. Yeah. i will say like artists especially successful artists, we've had it a little bit easier because we still have some streaming royalties. We can sell merch. What breaks my heart is everyone that worked behind the scenes, like fucking roadies, tour managers, production managers, security. Like those people don't earn as much and they live month to month. And it's I like it, that is who's really fucking hurt from all this. And um, I hope we're going to get those people back to work pretty soon. A thousand percent, man. Well, uh, we'll be out there, bro. Bring my, my, my shade so I don't get the, for all the lasers, man. I'm excited. They're very safe. They're very safe. No safety goggles. For me, it's more of a style thing, man. That's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, with that said, man, no, all super exciting. Congrats on the, the, the launch of Laser City. Um, keep up all the great work, man. Excited to see you back out there in, in due time. Really enjoyed the conversation, guys. It's been, been awesome. Thank Likewise. you so much. All right, man. Cheers. Hey, cheers. Gareth Emery, the man, the myth, the legend that you have coming out the, the gate with one of the hottest NFTs in the game, Laser City. Check it out live today on Nifty Gateway. Um, really enjoyed having him on. I mean, I think obviously as a wealth of knowledge, not only with regards to his ascent and longevity as a, as a producer and DJ, but also with regards to his experience in the intersection of like crypto blockchain and, and music. So I think really exciting and refreshing to see his approach on this NFT drop, given that there has just been this massive influx and just a lot of uh, monotony across all the NFTs that are dropping. So, so hats off for him, really thinking of something personal, um, integrating an IRL component with the NFT drop, doing kind of tiered drops between limited editions, one of one, open editions. Um, just kind of refreshing to see that level of creativity. And I think even though there is a very big opportunity with NFTs, and I think still it's kind of just in the, the, the first inning, if you will, um, I think what's always going to help you stand out is doing these uh, is just making sure that you're taking a unique and innovative approach and not just the same way with your music, right? Like not, not just trying to be a, a sea of the same. What uh, would you enjoy, Jordan? Yeah, I actually was going to bring that up also. I think it was really interesting how we compared making music to making NFTs and how you just have to make something that you like. And then if, if uh, you know, hope that people have the same taste as you. Um, there's obviously a lot of strategy that he put into it. So it was it was awesome to kind of break that down. Um, but one thing I think was also really exciting is that 
he's been in this game for a little bit as an artist. So it seems so new to the artist world. Um, and it is in some respects, but he's been heavily involved at least since he started at Tune in 2017. So he has a different perspective on where it's been, where it can go. And I think that's what allows him so much creativity um, when designing his own NFTs is that he's been a part of this game for a while. Um, and now he can really take advantage of it because he was he was ahead of his time and and he had that information prior to, you know, 2021. So um, yeah, it was just really exciting to hear from what I would call like an NFT vet, even though, you know, he's only been in the game for about half a decade or so. It's it's still it's still a while compared to the people that are just getting started this year. So thousand percent so hats off there and once again um really grateful for our partner vidya uh like we mentioned can be a very very powerful platform and distribution partner to help power the back end of your label they have some white label offerings that really enable you to create this high touch branded service for the artists on your roster while still getting access to a ton of the, the really powerful features and support and advising that they give with regards to distribution analytics playlisting this goes on so Definitely want to encourage you to check them out and apply uh, at vidia.com slash MVP. That's V-Y-D-I-A dot com slash M-V-P. And on that note, we love y'all. We'll be back next week. You know what it is. Thank you. And we out.